Welcome back to the MedBullet Step 1 podcast. In this episode, we go over the topic of antihypertensive therapy from the cardiovascular section on MedBullets.com. Let's start this episode with a clinical snapshot. A 44-year-old man presents to his primary care physician for an annual examination. He currently does not have any acute complaints. He has been attempting to increase the number of fruits and vegetables in his diet and has lost approximately 15 pounds over six months. His medical history is significant for type 2 diabetes mellitus and he is currently taking metformin. Physical examination is remarkable for blood pressure of 155 over 103 millimeters of mercury and mildly decreased vibration and proprioception sense in his lower extremities. He returns to the clinic for two consecutive days to measure his blood pressure, which is 152 over 100 millimeters of mercury and 158 over 107 millimeters of mercury, respectively. He is started on lisinopril. This is a case of high blood pressure or hypertension. Let's now get into the episode. Let's start with a brief introduction about antihypertensive therapy. Antihypertensive medications are used to manage hypertension in patients where conservative measures are ineffective. There are four commonly used antihypertensive medications, diuretics, sympatholytics, vasodilators, and renin-angiotensin-aldosterone inhibitors. Diuretics include thiazides and potassium-sparing diuretics. Sympatholytics include beta-blockers and alpha-blockers. Vasodilators include calcium channel blockers, hydralazine, and minoxidil. And renin-angiotensin-aldosterone inhibitors include angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitors, or ACE inhibitors, and angiotensin receptor blockers, or ARBs. Now let's get into the topic of diuretics in a little bit more detail. The medications include thiazides and potassium-sparing diuretics. The thiazides have a mechanism of action whereby they inhibit the sodium chloride transporter in the distal tubule, and they also cause vasodilation. The mechanism of vasodilation is unclear. Potassium-sparing diuretics have a mechanism of action whereby they promote sodium excretion in the distal nephron. Now let's talk about sympatholytics. The medications in this category include beta-blockers, alpha-agonists, and alpha-blockers. Beta-blockers have a mechanism by which they decrease the heart rate, which in turn decreases cardiac output. They also decrease renin release, which in turn decreases total peripheral resistance. Note that beta-blockers, such as metoprolol, can result in bronchospasm, impotence, and hyperglycemia. The next sympatholytic is alpha-agonist. With respect to their mechanism of action, they are central alpha-2 agonists, which decreases the sympathetic outflow to blood vessels, the heart, and the kidneys by activating presynaptic beta-2 adrenoreceptors. The drugs include methyl dopa and clonidine. And the third class of sympatholytics are alpha blockers, and the mechanism of alpha blockers is blocking the alpha-1 receptor, and this causes blood vessel smooth muscle relaxation, and the main drug involved is prazosin. Now let's talk about vasodilators in more detail. The first vasodilator is hydralazine. The mechanism of action of hydralazine is that it increases CGMP to cause direct vascular smooth muscle relaxation. Note that hydralazine causes a reflex tachycardia, therefore beta blockers are often given together. The next vasodilator is minoxidil. The mechanism of action of minoxidil is that it causes direct arteriolar smooth muscle relaxation. 
and the last set of vasodilators are calcium channel blockers. Calcium channel blockers have a mechanism by which they decrease cardiac and vascular calcium influx, resulting in a decreased cardiac output and total vascular resistance. Now let's move on to renin-angiotensin-aldosterone inhibitors. The medications include ACE inhibitors and ARBs. ACE inhibitors, or angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitors, have a mechanism by which they inhibit the ACE enzyme, which in turn decreases circulating angiotensin II. Recall that angiotensin II causes vascular vasoconstriction and increased aldosterone secretion from the adrenal gland, particularly the zona glomerulosa. Note that ACE inhibitors decrease mortality in patients with acute myocardial infarction and patients with heart failure with decreased ejection fraction. It can also result in a cough, but it is beneficial for patients with diabetes. Moving on to ARBs, angiotensin receptor blockers, the mechanism is directly blocking the AG2 receptor. Note that this medication is beneficial for patients with diabetes. Now let's talk about antihypertensives in pregnancy. Medication options used to manage hypertension in pregnancy include hydralazine, labetalol, methyldopa, and nifedipine. Moving on to antihypertensives and hypertensive emergencies, the four main medications in this category are nitroprusside, phenoldepam, nicardipine and clavidipine, and labetalol. The mechanism of action of nitroprusside is that it causes arterial and venous dilation via CGMP. Note that this medication is metabolized into cyanide, which can potentially lead to cyanide poisoning. The mechanism of action of phenoldepam is that it's a peripheral dopamine 1 receptor agonist. Note that this drug maintains renal perfusion while the blood pressure is being decreased, therefore it is beneficial in patients with renal impairment. The mechanism of action of nicardipine and clavidipine is that it decreases cardiac and vascular calcium influx. And finally, the mechanism of action of labetalol is that it's an alpha and beta blocker. Now let's review antihypertensive medications that address comorbid conditions. We'll discuss the concept of individualizing antihypertensive therapy and the various different conditions that they should be used in. Starting off with benign prostatic hyperplasia, the best antihypertensive medication to use is alpha blockers. In the next condition, essential tremors, the best antihypertensive medication to use are beta blockers. Moving on to the next condition, hyperthyroidism, Again, the best antihypertensive medication to use are beta blockers. In the next condition, migraines, the best antihypertensive medications to use are beta blockers and calcium channel blockers. Moving on to the penultimate condition, osteoporosis, the best antihypertensive medication to use in osteoporosis are thiazide diuretics. And finally, in Raynaud's phenomenon, the best antihypertensive medication to use are dihydropyridine calcium channel blockers. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. First question. A 62-year-old man presents to his primary care physician with a two-week history of dry cough. His cough is not associated with fever, chills, sore throat, runny nose, or any other symptoms. His past medical history is significant for diabetes and hypertension, for which he has started on a new medication during his last primary care visit about a month ago. He has a 30-pack year history of smoking and drinks 5 to 7 drinks per week. 
His physician explains that the cough is likely a medication side effect, so the patient is started on a new medication that targets the same pathway. Which of the following is most likely the mechanism of action for this new medication? 1. Adrenergic receptor blocker 2. Angiotensin receptor blocker 3. Calcium channel blocker 4. Increase intracellular cyclic GMP or 5. Thiazide diuretic And the correct answer choice is answer choice 2, angiotensin receptor blocker. This patient who experienced dry cough after starting a new antihypertensive medication was most likely taking an angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitor. A new medication that targets the same pathway would be an angiotensin receptor blocker. Remember, angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitors are a first-line treatment for hypertension. These medications function by preventing ACE from producing angiotensin II, which is a potent vascular vasoconstrictor that also leads to increased aldosterone secretion from the adrenal gland. Important positives for this drug class are that they benefit patients with diabetic nephropathy and decrease mortality in patients with acute myocardial infarction. The most important side effect of ACE inhibitors is a persistent dry cough. Patients who cannot tolerate this side effect may be switched to angiotensin receptor blockers that inhibit this pathway but do not have cough as a side effect. Let's now review the incorrect answer choices. Answer choice 1, adrenergic receptor blockers such as beta blockers can be used to treat hypertension. However, these drugs have bronchospasm and impotence as side effects rather than cough. Answer choice 3, calcium channel blockers decrease cardiac inotropy so they are effective for hypertension, however they cause bradycardia and syncope rather than cough. Answer choice 4, increasing intracellular cyclic GMP is the mechanism of action for hydralazine, which can be used for hypertension, however this drug causes reflex tachycardia rather than cough. And finally, answer choice 5, thiazide diuretics are another important antihypertensive drug class However, they would cause hypokalemia and hypercalcemia as side effects rather than cough. In summary, angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitors are antihypertensives that have cough as a prominent side effect. Next question. A 60-year-old woman presents to her primary care physician for a wellness checkup. She has a past medical history of hypertension and was discharged from the hospital yesterday after management of a myocardial infarction. She states that sometimes she experiences exertional angina. Her temperature is 99.5 degrees Fahrenheit or 37.5 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 147 over 98 millimeters of mercury. Pulse is 90 per minute. Respirations are 17 per minute. And oxygen saturation is 98% on room air. Physical exam is within normal limits. Which of the following is the best next step in management? 1. Atenolol 2. Furosemide 3. Hydrochlorothiazide 4. Nifedipine or 5. Nitroglycerin And the correct answer choice is answer choice 1. Atenolol This patient is presenting after a myocardial infarction. She should be started on mortality-lowering drugs, which include beta-blockers like atenolol. 
Remember, myocardial infarctions warrant aggressive medical intervention in order to prevent future episodes. Mortality-lowering interventions include aspirin, statins, beta blockers, ACE inhibitors and ARBs, and exercise and weight loss. Beta blockers exert their mortality-lowering benefit by decreasing heart rate and cardiac contractility via the beta-1 receptor blockade, thus decreasing the workload and oxygen requirements by the myocardium. Let's now review the incorrect answer choices. Answer choice 2, furosemide, a loop diuretic, may manage this patient's blood pressure but does not lower mortality. The nephron can adapt to this medication, thus mitigating its long-term effects. Answer choice 3, hydrochlorothiazide, is a thiazide diuretic that is first-line and mortality-lowering in hypertension, however may not be the best initial medication to give a patient after a myocardial infarction where beta blockers should be started to reduce cardiac workload. Thiazide diuretics may be started after beta blockers. Answer choice 4, nifedipine is a calcium channel blocker that is only indicated for managing blood pressure but would not reduce mortality. And finally, answer choice 5, nitroglycerin, is indicated for treating angina but does not lower mortality. In summary, mortality-lowering medications in ischemic heart disease include aspirin, statins, beta blockers, and ACE inhibitors and ARBs. And that's all for this review about antihypertensive therapy. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 1 podcast, a daily audio review session by MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on MedBullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the MedBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from these MedBullets Step 1 podcasts so far, please consider leaving us a 5-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow MedBullets on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the MedBullets Step 1 podcast.